0: Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 44, and it was recorded on Thursday, November 19th. 2020. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and the CEO of Vitreo Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. This is our 11th episode of 2020. We are joined by Martha Schumacher, the Chair of AFP Global, Paula Atfield, the Chair of AFP Canada, Bob Carter, Chairman of Carter and Past Chair of AFP Global, and Paul Nazareth, Vice President, Education and Development, for the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. Our topic, fundraising and philanthropy, our crystal ball for 2021. This past year was not like any other year. This was not a normal year. Almost any predictions dated before the end of March 2020 are completely and utterly irrelevant. In March of this year, our world changed. 2020 is the year the world shut down. 2020 is and has been COVID-19 join me and four terrific thought and opinion leaders as we talk about and look to what 2021 might hold for all of us it's time for the brain trust philanthropy podcast welcome to episode 44 of brain trust philanthropy powered by vitreo this is our 12th and final episode of 2020 this is season 4 our topic philanthropy and fundraising our crystal ball for 2021 this is our fourth annual podcast on disru- on disruption and emergent trends our listeners want to hear about what might be the most important drivers for the nonprofit and fundraising sectors in the u- upcoming year. We have four amazing fundraising and nonprofit leaders with us today. They're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. First, joining us from Alexandria, Virginia, we have Martha Schumacher. Martha is president of Hazen Consulting and the Hazen Institute for Leadership Training. Martha is also chair of AFP Global. This is Martha's second visit to our podcast. She first joined us last season on episode 25, where our topic was diversity and inclusion, gender, sexual identity, ethnicity, and more in the nonprofit sector. Martha, we're so pleased that you could join us again. Welcome back.
1: Vince, thank you so much. It is wonderful being here with you today and being here with this esteemed panel. Uh, So, you mentioned my uh, term, my time as global chair, and, it, and it's actually 42 more days, but, <laughs> but, but who's counting, you know, um, and actually right in pandemic times, that's like 5,000 more days. So oh, absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's 600 <laughs> zoom meetings
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not least, at, a, at a minimum, right? So no, but in all, in all seriousness, it has, oh, it's just been a tremendous honor, uh, including serving with the amazing, brilliant Paula Atfield, who's with us today as well. She's been an incredible partner, uh, chairing AFP Canada. So, so I, you know, Vince, I think, you know, when I think about this, these two years, right, I, I think while I'm extremely proud of what we did in 2019, frankly, it was a cakewalk compared to uh, what 2020 has brought so I think what I would just say is that in terms of what 2020 has meant is I think the ways that I've been most proud of both AFP Global and our over 200, actually roughly 240 chapters is the level of innovation, creativity, and frankly, good active listening that we've put into practice, uh, during this, this interesting year. So, so I think when I look back over this year, that's, that's what I, I'm most proud of.
0: That's awesome. So what's next for Martha as you move into the past chair role? Do you know? Yeah.
1: So I'm sorry. Say again, Vince. Yeah.
0: Sorry. What's next for you as you like beyond AFP, which you still will be in the past chair role for the next few years. What's next for you?
1: Yeah. And so that, that past chair piece uh, is interesting because I my the thing about that, that I love most (laughs) and that I think is, Best about our structure at AFP Global is that I will spend two years chairing the nominating committee. Right. So as some, as someone who is all about the future and all about emerging leaders, it's really fun and really exciting to think about who, what are some opportunities for us in terms of what our board will look like in the coming years. And I think it's a good opportunity to call out something we've been talking about a lot uh, to a lot of different groups, which is that in uh, 2021, we are actually going to have a 50% uh, BIPOC makeup of our board. And I think that's extremely important. I also want to say that we're welcoming our first ever African-American woman as chair, Birgit Smith Burton. Um, But frankly, much more importantly, because, you know, there's a big discussion in equity around the difference between uh, checking boxes and optics versus representation. And what I would say to you is everybody, uh, everybody currently on the board, no matter what, what ways they are diverse, no matter what it is that they bring to the table, we've just got a tremendous group of leaders uh, coming into 2021 and 2022. So I'm excited about that. For for me, uh, one of the things I'm looking at, and I've, I it's it's a little uh, challenging saying this on the podcast, but I'm going to go for it, is because it makes me have to own it, which is that I'm looking at writing a book.
0: All right. I'm writing
1: my first book. And then the other piece, I think, is that with uh, Hazen Institute for Leadership Training that you mentioned in the intro, I, I'm, I want to do a lot more with that. I Over these two years, I've spent a lot of time uh, on a lot of things, including AFP, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to, to being able to dig in uh, a, be, a bit deeper to leadership training.
0: That's great. Well, thanks very much for that, Martha. And, and what an important time to be on the nominating committee uh, to, to be chairing that. So thanks for doing that. Um, thank you very much. So next joining us from Toronto, we have Paula Atfield. And I know Martha highlighted that you're on the, on the podcast. So um, uh, uh, Paula, you're president of Stephen Thomas Limited, and you're also chair with, I think, 42 more days left of AFP Canada. Uh, Paula has been on this annual panel for the last three years and in fact Paula was on our most recent podcast um, about the fundraising narrative. Um, Are you angling for my job Paula? I'm just kidding of course. (laughs) Welcome back Paula.
2: Thank you. It's great to be here Vincent.
0: Paula you two are coming to the end of your term as Chair of AFP Canada as we just sort of mentioned. I asked Martha this question or Martha uh, also uh, shared that with us. So I'm going to ask you looking back what are your thoughts and learnings from your time? leading AFP Canada? And what's next for Paula?
2: Yes, thank you, great great question. Thank you, Martha, for your kind words. I have indeed spent the last two years as um, chair of AFP Canada. We are a three and a half year old board. So it's still a fledgling board, still growing. Our areas of focus have been, um, our overall vision is rather has been to be the bilingual voice of the fundraising profession in Canada. And we've done that through through two ways: communications, and you mentioned the narrative. That's a that's a part of that, and government relations. And so it's the government relations piece. Well, both the comms and the government relations pieces this year have really uh, accelerated under COVID nineteen from the perspective of the you know the hits that our sector has taken uh, across Canada, and we've been advocating the government amongst other things for. Um, a sector stabilization fund. So it has been a very busy year. It has also been my tremendous pleasure to learn and to work alongside Martha. And um, it's, it's, it, it's been full, a full, I would say a very full year. And so for the, the thing that I've also been impressed with, and I know you were Martha too, is the resiliency of our Association and Fundraising Professional um, membership and our leaders across Canada, across uh, the United States, and, and across the world. It's really buoyed me during, a, during an otherwise quite a difficult time to, to walk along with such amazing people. And, and in addition to that, I'm looking here at Paul Nazareth, working with our, with our colleagues in like-minded organizations such as the CAGP has been, has been tremendous for me personally.
0: That's great. And so what's next for Paula? Obviously, I think you're also going to be chairing the nominating committee.
2: That, is that, that's right.
0: Is that how that works. And so but, what, yeah. what, so you'll have that role. Are there other things? Are you going to write a book?
2: So I, I, you know, what? I, I, years ago, I put it out there that I was going to write a, write a book. And shamefully I haven't yet. I took a stab at it, but maybe I'll raise that up now that I've uttered it out loud. Maybe I'll raise that up and I'll follow Martha and everything. To, well, that's, so, that's, I continue to follow Martha.
0: Well, I would I would read anything either of you wrote, so that's great. So keep that up. Excellent. Thank you so much. But but, Paul.
2: but but would you pay for it? That's the question.
0: Well, I, I'm glad to hear that you're actually still a fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> <Good for you. laughs> Uh, also joining us for the United States, this time from way down in Florida, we have Bob Carter. Bob is chairman of Carter, a fundraising consultancy based in the US. Last time I checked, there were 27 consultants and five staff at Carter. So this is a significant operation. Uh, Carter's tagline is advancing philanthropy worldwide, and they justifiably call themselves philanthropy specialists. This is Bob's third visit to our podcast. He joined us way back on episode two and again in season three on episode 28, where he talked about life and career hacks. What I tell my 20 year old fundraising self, if I go back in time. Welcome back to Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast, Bob. Thanks. Thanks, Pence. It's really good to be here and uh, good to be a part of such a good team you've got put together here. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I I don't know where you get your energy, but each time we talk, you seem to be engaged in yet another adventure in the sector. Uh, This past year was no different. In fact, I would argue that you were at the epicenter of one of the most important events of our time, an event that is still going on. This past year, you worked with the World Health Organization to help them establish the WHO Foundation. Can you take a few minutes to share with us how that came to be and the Foundation's current mandate? (laughs)
3: Sure. Uh, it's one of the more exciting things I've ever been a part of. It was a couple of years ago, uh, two years ago this month, I think I was, uh, I got a phone call from a friend in Paris, uh, who I had worked with in Doha and in Europe as well. And, um, I've done, I've been working internationally for about 25 years now. And, uh, this person was, uh, helping to frame up a structure for a new entity at WHO. And part of that frame up was to put together an advisory committee of a dozen people from around the world. And he said, uh, some of these appointments will be political. Some will be actually useful. That was kind of how he phrased it. I was hoping, I said, I hope I fall into the useful category. And so I was one of a dozen people who were selected. Uh, and I, I said, yes, it didn't take me very long to say yes. And, uh, I also told him at the time that anything I did would be pro bono because I said, I'm very concerned about world health, uh, the America's health and everywhere, every place. And, you know, the work and exposure I've had to that, um, you know, two of the huge problems in the world are war and war and health. And they're not, they're not separated actually. Uh, And health includes water. It includes an awful lot of things. So anyhow, I joined that committee and we started meeting uh, about every other month in Geneva. Uh, and it was, it started out as an academic enterprise. And I have to tell you this, the first meeting there, we got a briefing from the WHO staff and they started drawing these circles up on the whiteboard. And what they did was they filled in money, people, and institutions. And the smallest number up there was hundred million. And that was the number of institutions. Everything else was in billions, including the the billions of dollars necessary to move the needle in, in real-world health, and then the number of people who needed to be serviced by those funds. And it was an eye-opener. And I'm used to big campaigns. I've done a lot of, you know, in the billion-dollar, $500 million to a billion-dollar range, which is fairly substantial. But I'd never seen anything like this. And then all of a sudden I realized that this is an opportunity to move a needle. And so I stuck with it and I'll, I'll fast forward to uh, those many meetings. And in true Bob Carter form, I spoke too much. So I ended up doing a big part of the final presentation to Dr. Uh, Tedros, who's the general director, who's the first Ethiopian to ever be the general director, first person of color to be the general director. And he's brilliant. He's just an absolutely brilliant human being. And uh, I could go on about him too, but anyhow, uh, late that afternoon, he walked me out to my Uber and asked me if I would be a permanent member of the board. And so uh, about a month later, I got an official letter from WHO asking me to do that. I was one of the three founders uh, of the organization, which was kind of a highlight afternoon when I got that. And uh, you don't turn that down. So um, we started working in earnest in January of this past year, of building a board. Uh, We're up to seven or eight now, I think, uh, representative of the the Eastern world, uh, Africa. We, we, uh, I'm the, uh, currently the only US citizen that may change uh, the way we're looking, but we're very focused on not being the traditional um, Anglo world. Uh, And so it's a very interesting group of people that we're bringing together. The purpose of this actually, and and the reason it's, uh, I think it's a great idea is, WHO was founded in 1948 by the United Nations. Uh, it has essentially been a government-funded agency. Um, and so start thinking about that. 117 countries who fund the majority of it, each one with a president, emir or premier or something sitting at the head, each one with its own political angles, each one determining whether or not they'll fund it in a given year. And uh, we fall into that category too. And... Uh, Dr. Tedros has to deal with all of those people. They all have his phone number. So <laughs> getting 20 minutes with him is like a magic show. You have to be prepared and all that. And he has a balancing act to do with China and the, the high powers. He has a real balancing act to do. It's a very difficult job. Back to the purpose, though, they had never had a portal to receive private funds. They just didn't have that. So this organization is now, uh, we're able to play in the high net worth market on a global basis. Um, we opened up our, our portal for fundraising using the United Nations as a partner uh, in Ju- in June, late June, because we couldn't get the Swiss government to approve our portal. <laughs> <laughs> Very different thing than, you know, picking off the phone and getting it done. Yeah. So anyhow, we... Uh, we we're able to raise; it's up to almost 400 million now since the end of June, on a global basis. About 70 percent from corporations in the private sector, and about 30 percent from uh, wealthy individuals and families. So that's uh, that's a big part of the purpose. And of course, the ultimate purpose is to have number one uh, more funds for global health care, and secondly, more flexible dollars for global health
0: care. Well, that's great. That's that's the power of philanthropy, right?
3: Yeah, it is. And the, the the government funding has usually got a couple of strings with it when yep. it goes in. So this is this is a kind of a pure uh, fundraise, if you will. Yeah. So far, it's working.
0: I, I imagine I imagine you don't have too many troubles getting meetings. Hi, the the uh, the director of the WHO would like to meet with you to talk about the foundation. Uh, do you have some time? Oh, <laughs> well, it's interesting because
3: you know there are some people who don't want to do that and there are some people who are very interested in doing that sure. uh, and right now we have a series of cultivation meetings set for the month of december that will be zoom meetings and uh, i have three people to invite to a mid-december meeting uh, who all of whom will probably say yes i think uh, because it is it's a pretty high honor to have this conversation with dr Tedros.
0: Well, enjoy your meeting with uh, with Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Mackenzie Bezos. It'll be fun.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're already coming to another one. So. Yeah,
0: I'm sure they are. Yeah, but. so it's,
3: very, it's been a great experience, I have to say.
0: Well, we appreciate what you're doing, Bob, and we are thrilled that you you took the time to join us today, and that is really important. Yeah. Um, you you know, you've done so many things. We all have. Uh, all, of, all of you on this call have something to put down um, uh, on, on what did you do with your life? And uh, so you should all be grateful for that. And that's a, I'm only setting you up now, Paul, to, to, to beat all that. So um, let's introduce, last but not least, from Toronto, we have Paul Nazareth. Paul is Vice President Education and Development for the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. Uh, Paul is no stranger to podcasts, but this is his first time on Brain Trust Philanthropy. So
4: welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks so much, Vince. Uh, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> I've been waiting for someone to do that. That's awesome that
0: you did that. That's got a great soundbite. So, Paul, we're going to hear your thoughts on uh, what uh, 2021 might hold for fundraising and philanthropy in just a minute. And um, But before we do that, uh, of all of us on this panel today, you are by far the most active on social media. You have almost 14,000 followers on Twitter, and your posts are widely shared. Our listeners want to know, and I want to know, how do you make or find the time, and do you have some secrets for us on how to become a social media maven just like you?
4: Well, I hope they're helpful. But actually, my secrets are that I do it all wrong and that I cheat as much as possible. Uh, and by that, I mean, in the sense, if you look at that, actually, if you look at that following piece, everybody always looks at the followers. But if you look at how many people I'm following, the most active, you know, social media guru types follow no one. And my whole reason for getting on there was to be connected to my community. Right. The first 10 years of my career were actually quite lonely and isolated. Because like a lot of people, you know, do, you know, building their bones and doing the trench work. I was disconnected. I didn't have PD budget to go out and be at conferences and connect with people. And I was yearning for that connection with my peers. So in the early 2000s, I started blogging, podcasting, all of it and found that place on Twitter because also having young babies and um, mild insomnia. The fact is that social media is a conference happening 24 hours a day. So, you know, how do I find the time? I use, I use a lot of um, aggregating platforms, the Who Suites and all that kind of stuff. And then I, do, I actually don't, I'm not there all the time. You know, I always tell people on the weekends, all my devices are in a box by the door and everything that you see is scheduled. Oh. So, you know, I encourage people to say, keep it authentic. And actually here in the pandemic, don't spend too much time. On it. Listen when you need to, use it to connect with people that fill you up. And that's my peers in fundraising. That's why I love the podcast. You're my staple when I'm washing dishes. All right. those are the things we always got to do, but there's always time to connect. And that's why I love it so much. That's
0: awesome. I take that as a compliment that you listen to me while you're doing dishes. Some of the best podcasts I listen to are while I'm doing Thanks for that, Paul. We appreciate that. And that's a great tip. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this, our 44th podcast. Today's topic, fundraising and philanthropy, our crystal ball for 2021. As part of my preparation for this podcast or any podcast, I typically do a Google search for relevant articles and posts related to the topic. When I did the prep for today's podcast, I did the same. I Googled fundraising and philanthropic trends, 2021. I immediately had a problem. This is not like any other year. This is not a normal year. Almost any link dated before the end of March, 2020 was completely and utterly irrelevant. Uh, In March of 2020, our world changed. 2020 will go on record as the year the world shut down, the year that health became an economic driver, and the year that billions of lives were changed forever. 2020 is COVID-19. As we close this horrific year, and yes, there were also many, many silver linings as well. I'm sure we'll hear about those. We see a world characterized by one word, uncertainty. Massive and pervasive uncertainty. The economy is on life support. Millions are jobless. Millions more continue to work from home, and the nonprofit sector is being told That it will be operating at somewhere around 65% of what it operated on to prior to the pandemic, and this might be the case for the next three to five years. With that upbeat stage setting, we have invited four of our leaders to share their thoughts on what 2021 and beyond holds or might hold for the nonprofit sector globally and in North America. So Bob, I'm wondering if we could, can we start with you? Can you cheer us up?
3: Sure. And, and, you know, I have to say I'm the eternal optimist. Uh, and I think some of that comes with uh, with time spent uh, watching the resilience of philanthropy, watching the resilience of the human spirit all over the world and seeing how people come back and seeing how people recover. Uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the last six months, zooming into board meetings, zooming into various conferences and talking about uh uh, they talk about Rain, Wayne Gretzky because you know his whole whole philosophy of success was skating to where the puck was going not to where it was so so uh i think we're headed to uh, a pretty incredible recovery and certainly in the us i can speak to that uh you know the equities market which is what essentially drives major and mega giving has never gone below 22,000 uh in the recession of 2009 it was at 6500 and that recession was a humdinger because it was a failure of financial institutions. Uh, this particular world trauma and recession was caused by governments demanding that people shut down and go home. But the financial institutions that have most of the money, business doesn't have most of the money, our financial institutions, banking and insurance and all that have most of the cash, they're still okay. And that's why, uh, that's why the market in the U S is doing what it's doing. Some other markets are responding well too. Uh, and there's no question there's regionalism as far as who's, who's happy right now and who isn't. But, uh, we have the opportunity for a very rapid recovery, uh, that I predict will even accelerate once we have distribution of vaccine. Um, so much of the work that we do, so much of the world is, uh, responds, uh, emotionally and psychologically to good news. And we've been waiting and waiting as societies for good news for a long time. Here in the U.S., I've I've been saying for months, we need to check two boxes. Number one is get the election over with, which we will. Believe it or not, we will get it over with here. It's not over
0: yet? Oh, sorry.
3: It's in court right now. It's crazy. (laughs) But anyhow, I think it's over. But, you know, there are those who don't think it's over. I've checked my box. And anyhow, we also uh, checked the vaccine box. And now we have from two to four that are coming out, uh, you know, before the end of the year. Uh, that kind of, even an early distribution that doesn't get to everybody is going to make a big difference in the way people look at life and the way they look at the future. Uh, we, are, we are significantly moving from fear to hope in many parts of the world, uh, uh, facing the third shutdowns in some parts of Europe now. Uh, I was I, I'm counseling uh, a client in uh, in China and uh, yeah, if you want to have time troubles try that and Australia but in China in particular you know they've gone through so many shutdowns it's not it's not funny but they're they're in good shape right now by by definition except for a couple hot spots um, so you know we'll come we'll come through this uh, and I think of more concern to me than you know kind of the pandemic stuff is uh, the the door that's open for what we're calling for no better definition than a cancel culture. And that is where everything we've been doing is terrible. And I just don't think so. Uh, do we need changes? Yeah, we do. And crisis always opens the door for change. And, and it's a good thing to do that uh, in social balancing and all those kinds of things. But I hope that we don't have a, a global movement or certainly a, North American movement that says, uh, everybody's bad. Uh, everybody who creates some wealth through to their hard work or cleverness in terms of being smart uh, and legal is evil. And uh, you know, part of the concern I have is whether or not our public policies will begin to reflect the fact that uh, creating wealth is a very, very bad thing for everybody. And if that happens, We'll be having a very different conversation in about two years on this kind of a, of a platform uh, because uh, and it's interesting when I some of my fundraiser friends don't connect their jobs with the fact that if, we, if wealth does not get created and disposable income with discretion does not remain. You don't need a fundraiser. You need a lobbyist. Right. That's a very different scene.
0: Well, I, loved your, I love your optimism, Bob, and uh, any any conversation that involves Wayne Gretzky, given that I spent most of my life in Edmonton, is welcome. So thank you for that, and that's a good stage setting around the optimism, the resilience, innovation. Um, I think that's a really good platform for the rest of us to tag into. Who wants to go next? Anybody want to jump in? Martha, I see you smiling. I don't mind going to another U.S. person. I don't need to go Canada, U.S. You know, We're quite comfortable coming in from behind.
1: Okay. Oh, my goodness. You, know, you guys are always out. You're, you're always what we aspire to. So, um, so yes, I am smiling because, um, I, I've been, it's really interesting. First of all, of course, as always, what Bob just said is, is fascinating. And, and Bob, I, it's when you talk about fundraising colleagues, I think one of the things that, so we could today, right? We could say, Hey, these are what we think the top 10 trends in fundraising are going to be. Right. And it could be things like, I happen, for one, to think that crisis health giving, uh, per what Bob said about the vaccine, right? You know that once that comes into play, there's going to be a big mindset shift around giving to crisis health giving. So, so we could make all of those predictions, and you know, perhaps we'll we'll spend some time on that. But what I actually think is getting lost in this a lot is, um, and again, bringing it back to our colleagues, is that with all of this Zoom fatigue. With all of this decision fatigue, right? And there's been a lot of writing on, on both Zoom fatigue and decision fatigue. I really believe that while we can talk, you know, till the cows come home about what fundraising predictions we have, if we aren't taking care of our people, in other words, both both our teams as well as literally ourselves, if we're the leader of those teams then the rest of it doesn't matter. The rest of it isn't going to happen. And so I did want to, and Vince, you know, I love giving uh, reading recommendations. So I will say that the two articles I've appreciated most.
0: I'm writing them down now. (laughs)
1: Okay. Okay. That I've come across over these last couple of weeks and read and, and have actually come back to as well as shared with many colleagues. One is from three years ago, but everything in it holds absolutely true today so it was from 2017 and it's from Harvard Business Review HBR, which I love. Um, and it's called High Performing Teams Need Psychological Safety. Okay. And so there's some great information in there um, about that. The second article is just from last month, which is Wall Street Journal, another, you know, great publication, obviously. And it's called Battling Pandemic Blues: How Managers Can Rally the Troops. And so I would just say without getting into a lot of details, I just would really recommend anyone listening to this, take the time. Neither of those articles are very long, by the way. I know that time is our, our greatest, um, you know, commodity or our most scarce commodity these days. Um, but I just, you know, I I think the point in all of this is that taking care of your teams and then taking care of yourselves. I happened to fortuitously be on the AFP New Jersey conference um, today, this morning, and Kish Palmer did this great uh, presentation, and Kish said, what cadence of rest, restoration, and creativity have you created for yourself to achieve high-performing teams who feel taken care of, who feel motivated, and who, you know, what? what really essentially her bottom line, and if anyone here, I think most of not all of us know Kish, you'll know that she she always comes up with great motivational um, thoughts and ideas and ways to express things. And she said, so think about what lights you up, right? Because her point was, if you're not lit up, your team sure as heck isn't going to be. So, so to me, that's one of the most important recommendations. And then hopefully, predictions or trends around people starting to get just a lot more serious about how to motivate and retain, and you know, inspire their teams.
0: Right, that's a great uh, reminder. And pandemic fatigue is a thing, and uh, and uh, so I mean, the vaccine will start to help that for sure. But as we get through there, I think that's really wise advice. I I know everyone listening will will uh, listen for those articles, but I will also put those in the show notes. Um, Paula or Paul, do you want to weigh in and uh, and offer your thoughts on? On uh, what uh, what's been said, or what you think is happening in 2021, Paula? I see your hand up. You're up.
2: Sure. Yeah, I can I can jump in. That really uh, all, all of that that we've just heard really resonated with with me, and and in particular, the the mental well being is is high on my priority list for this year and for next year too. For for me and for the fellow volunteers I serve with, for my colleagues, all of that's incredibly important. And I was just thinking about. 2021 is kind of the year of the reboot for everything. So from, you know, from things are business as usual but they're not business as usual. And I think more and more of the organizations for whom we work and volunteer will, will will need to just sort of blow it up and put it back together if you will next year and and, and in advance of next year, but and it's going to require us to revisit everything from from the strategies through finance, through fundraising to operations to people management and people's well-being all against the backdrop of a continued reality of the, the pandemic. And, and, you know, we'll have um, multiple vaccines. Those need to be sort of equitably distributed uh, throughout the world in, in order for us to really beat this thing. And we will beat it. I share, I share Bob's and, and Martha's and, and your sense of optimism for that. It, this too shall pass, of course. Um, and, and we're going to have to figure out a way to get through the next phase uh, f- from all kinds of different perspectives. But then it has to be, it has to see us through to the end of the pandemic. So I see that as, as, as requiring a tremendous amount of thoughtfulness as we move forward into 2021.
0: I like that you started with the reboot Paula, you know, somebody said, uh, uh, you know, never waste a good crisis. And I think a lot of organizations have taken that in a very positive approach. Uh, this is a time, an inflection, an opportunity to, uh, to really seriously reboot and, and move through some stuff. So thanks for that. Paul, you've heard, you've heard all of our SAGE uh, talks. Uh, uh, you get to weigh in and fill in the cracks and, uh, and also add your own thoughts. Um, so help us with,
4: uh, with what you're thinking. You know, you know, part of this is this curiosity that a number of us have had about the convergence between fundraising and that digital world, right? I followed that curiosity of mine from charities to a bank to an online organization like Canada helps, which in the few years I was there, we scaled from about 50 million to this year, close to 300 million. And partly because online instantly became the only game in town. So that convergence to the digital was one thing in the pandemic the divergence to not being able to ignore all the other things that at one time were optional and now are right in our face. By that, I mean things like crowdfunding. I mean things like, because we know how much it's hurting our bottom line or or challenging us in that space. And other players. For us in Canada, we've got, and actually North America, we've got players like Benevity, PayPal Giving Foundation. You know, all of a sudden, everything is in the same channel. So this is the, the challenge for 21 is how do we make sure we we kind of circle the wagons, we go deeper in the relationships we've got, everybody focused on the tactics. How do we take our golf tournament online? And yet, if we really connect with our donors, you know, one of the smaller charities I'm on the board of, I encourage them to say, please don't panic and turn everything into digital. Talk to your donors. And one of their donors recently said to them, you know, nobody's talking to me. Nobody's told me what they're doing at this time and why it's needed. And because nobody is, I feel comfortable doubling down with you. And they turned a five-figure gift into a seven-figure in-life endowment. And so, you know, that's the piece which is going to be hard for us because everybody wants to react, wants to do, take everything online. And yet, as always, we know that fundraising strategy and relationships is what is really important right? And we got to remember that the economy is still there, right? Some great Canadian data from our colleagues at GoodWorks and StatsCan showed us that 70% of Canadians over that that $100,000 income level have retained their salaries. They've been really quiet. You know, we've only heard about the losses, but there's there's a reason why there's a wood shortage in Canada because everybody's quietly renovating their homes. To put <laughs> <up>. <laughs> That's true. We've also... This is a fun one. I got this from the report on business in the Global Mail. There's a botox shortage because people are renovating their face. Uh, <laughs> the fact is, is that the money's there. People care. They want to give. We just got to connect with them. And all the newfangled stuff isn't the way to do that, right? Phone will beat Zoom every time. Uh, that I love that you went there, um, Paul. I, uh,
0: I, there's a lot to unpack in there. One of the things that was I saw some quiet acknowledgement, or maybe I'm just seeing that in the eyes around uh, th- this crowdfunding thing that isn't philanthropy or fundraising, but is presumed to be both. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm for or against it, but the GoFundMe campaigns uh, and, and the, the PayPal giving and things like that. I'm curious what we as a sector think about with respect to that feel about and whether we, 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 we think we should be doing something about that or not. Either encouraging it or discouraging it, or finding a different way. Any thoughts on that? I know it's a little bit of a sideways. Bob, I see your finger wagging. Tell us.
3: Well, I, I like it. I mean, I think um, no, it's a little bit whether when you're asking for a grant, whether they take the money out of marketing or philanthropy. Uh, money is money, and I think that they're and and having ra- having spoken and been a part of some fundraising in other parts of the world, particularly in Latin America, where. You know, I've spoken at conferences in Latin America where most of the audience were um, social philanthropy experts uh, looking for social investments with an actual return to the to the investor. Um, so I think looking at the new models, the Zuckerberg Foundation is a bit like that as well. So I think that model is is okay. Uh, I've responded to GoFundMe's because I believe in the cause. Uh, I can't deducts deduct that but that's okay because I'm really interested in the outcomes uh, everybody everybody will not be in the charitable deduction game uh, going forward so and I think uh, and ultimately if we if we look at public policies that are going to encourage um, higher taxation and things like that there's going to be a redistribution or a resettling of things anyhow so I don't mind it I think it's I think it adds strength to some people who don't give a hoot about the deduction anyhow. So I, I think, I think it's, I think it's okay. Good causes. Uh, I think we maybe do, maybe do some good screening on these things. Yeah. Uh, I worry yeah. a little bit about personal things like that, but where I know the cause is worthy. I'm okay with that.
0: Right. Right. Okay. That's, that's great. I see your hand up, uh, Paula. I want to come to you. One of the things I found I remember reading a report years ago about giving and it happened to be giving in the US, but it wasn't a giving USA thing. It was a more, it was done maybe 30 or 40 years ago, but it was a very comprehensive report because in it, they looked at the charitable giving, which they could count. And the, but they also looked at gift giving between individuals, you know, like, you know, if a father gave $20,000 to uh, an uncle or something like that type of giving was as important in the counting of general transfer of that type of funding i found it to be interesting and, and thought-provoking at the time and that i i hadn't actually thought about it that way because you know we get so bent on um you know it's it, you're registered to charity etc cetera, etc cetera. anyway i just wanted to put that out there paula you had your hand up
2: i i just want just for fun to play a bit of devil's advocate i mean i too have given to through gofundme and those platforms on occasion when when i when I read a very compelling story and I see that the money is going to go direct to cause where I, where I sort of pause for a little bit of concern with those types of platforms is the, is the potential lack of um, any ethical standards. And so as we know, the AFP, the association of fundraising professionals for our part has um, a a lengthy uh, set of ethical guidelines by which we operate. And those those that that those rights are not necessarily followed by those platforms, and we had a case in Toronto, and not Toronto, in Canada, where and you'd be familiar, you might all be familiar with this, which was a Lumbo, Lumb- sorry, I'm mispronouncing that,
0: Humboldt um, how- bus tragedy,
2: Humboldt. Sorry, um, yep. where you know something like twenty five million dollars was was raised o- almost overnight, but you know without the mechanisms in place to to distribute that um, it, it became a very difficult challenge for for those who who were in front of that um, that ver- that that tragedy so i think there's lots to be considered as we as we think about these new platforms because they are for sure here to stay and how do we utilize them in a way that that not only balances the rights of the of the donors but also the beneficiary or, beneficiaries how, how are they how are we balancing those rights there and how are we making sure that we're doing it in a way that's ethical
0: well i was just a thought came to my head martha maybe we need to have a board member from a crowdfunding platform on afp anyway it's a thought um other ideas or or, or um can we we can take this down another channel we i just pulled that thread out um, because of the crowdfunding comment paul um um but um uh, Martha, did you raise your hand? I, I just noticed the blue hand. I'm sorry, I missed that. I should know that by now. I'm well trained on Zoom. Your hand <laughs> is up. Go.
1: Yeah, no worries. Well, if it's pa- is it possible? I, this sounds like a political thing to say. Is it possible for me to say I agree with everything <laughs> that's been said so far? I also want to say that, Vince, um, t- correct me if I'm off here. I think when you were talking about what you were reading about is remittances, right? When folks are often, um, you know, for example, in a situation where they're sending money home, you know, back home, they might not be in their home country. Anyway, I find all of that fascinating as well. I I do too. I think we ignore that at our peril, right? I think that if we don't think about that, when we're talking about philanthropy, we're leaving out a whole section of philanthropy, that's critically important. But um, all of this is yeah, Bob, to say, the that. Only, yeah, the only other thing I had to add uh, to, to everything that's been said, which, again, I think is terrific, is, and, and I have a feeling Paula will start nodding her head, because this is kind of her world, I believe, is this whole idea of, I think we do need to be careful about talking about channels, as if, you know, okay, I'm a crowd, you know, like, for example, Bob Carter isn't a crowdfunding donor, He's a donor and he donates in many different ways. Sometimes he writes a check. Sometimes he, you know, does it um, online. Sometimes, you know, in other words, I, I do think we've got to make sure we never lose sight of the fact that, you know, donors are a whole, you know, wholehearted giving is also whole person giving, right? So we, you know, just making sure that we focus less on the channel, although understanding it's one of the many ways to give. And more thinking about what is it truly that motivates us. And frankly, speaking of Bob, he got the heart to the heart of it. He's not going to respond to a cr- crowdfunding, uh, you know, um, pl- uh, pitch. And Bob, you can chime in if I'm off, but I, I know you pretty well at this point. I think I'm, I'm, on, you know, spot on here. Is you're only going to respond to it if it's an organization and, for that matter, a person that you trust, right? That's that's asking you. That's right. So. So anyway, I think I just wanted to kind of those were some of my thoughts as as this conversation was unfolding.
0: Bob, you had your hand up and then I Paul, yeah. I see you there, too. Yeah, I did. One of the things that I learned a long time ago
3: in getting involved in sort of the whole picture of philanthropy was I was told. And this goes back decades that there were certain parts of our culture in North America that were not philanthropic because they didn't give money. And I started working in the those communities, and I found some of the greatest philanthropists I'll ever meet because they were feeding their neighbor. And you know, I never want us to lose sight of that because here in, uh, particularly in the Anglo world, we're really good at counting money, and and we associate <laughs> philanthropy with money. There's so many parts of it when you see people expressing love of fellow man that I've been blessed to watch it in action. I've been to the villages in Africa. I've been. Um, uh, you know, we, Carol and I are involved in Honduras. I've watched these really dirt poor villages at being as philanthropic as you'll ever want to meet anyone, helping their neighbor find food, find water. Uh, and I just think, I hate to get all hung up on if it ain't money, it doesn't count. Yeah. That's, I just That's want great. to make that great
0: reminder, Bob, and one that we've, we've wrestled with for a long time. Paul, you had your, um, your hand up, uh, uh go ahead. Yeah,
4: just want to simply share, part of this is, is I really believe in that the things that worry us, we got to bring them close. And just like Paula shared the ethical considerations, we all share. them. And so uh, what I really feel in 21 is we got to go out and fight to get that data to understand. We may not be giving the crowdfunding, but it is in the capital B billions in Canada already. And you bet it's affecting our bottom line. So we got to go out and poke those folks. Just like you said, maybe it's time to get a crowdfunding board member on in, in our communities. And just got to give a shout out to Imagine Canada because they just released a wonderful report called the Immigrant and Newcomer Giving Report that actually had Canadian data on remittances side by side with immigrant and newcomer giving. Really, really helpful data as we go into the new year. That's
0: awesome. I'm glad to hear that's happening. I'm mindful of uh,
4: our time. There's
0: no way we can talk through everything. And what I loved about our talk today was that we didn't get into the, oh, I think that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. We talked about resiliency. We talked about the opportunity for the crisis to move forward for a reboot. We talked about some trends that are out there um, and that we need to pay attention to and maybe even highlighted the fact that giving is beyond just how we count money. And so I love that that was all on our talk today. But I'm also, I, I, I wish I had more than an hour. We could talk for hours. I want to thank you all for, for taking time to be here. Uh, you know, Paula, Paul, Bob, Martha, um, it was fantastic that you took the time. But before we go, I want to give each of you an opportunity to share with our listening audience, um, you know, something that you want them to hear or take away either from today or into the future. And I'm going to start with you, Paul. So, Paul, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with our audience what you want them to hear.
4: Well, you know, this is uh, something really important in the Canadian Association of Give Planners and our community of organizations about asset-based giving. We, we say it till we're blue in the face. And frankly, in this pandemic, if more organizations had had planned giving programs set up, there's a lot of people who've wanted to give. And frankly, we know have even passed away and there will be a big coming of requests, but it's not just requests. So, you know, people really need to pay attention. The stock market has a huge rally at the end of the year. We're days away from the end of the year. Get those securities programs set up, but it's really important that we, we integrate into all of our fundraising programs. It's not an either or, it's an and. So just make sure we're taking the golf tournament and the walks and runs online, that we're getting those securities programs set up and we've got request wording online. You'll have all of your revenue streams as diversified as they need to be. Thanks for that Paul. I'm just curious one of the trends we didn't talk about and we didn't need to is uh,
0: uh maybe because of the pandemic made people st- face their mortality I do believe the number of wills being written has risen dramatically in uh,
4: during the pandemic in, and I I think that's March, not- Wills were the new toilet paper. And so there was a huge run on wills in Canada and the <laughs> I don't want to think about that image. It's uh, I'm with Bob. <laughs> That's great. But it was, it was massive. And there will be an equal run on wills after we're done all this in a good way. The people will reflect on their values and what they believed in. And there's it's going to be a golden age for wills after we're done all this. That's great. Um, I'm going to grab your message in a minute, Martha.
0: But I'm going to go to Paula. Paula, you have the stage. Thanks for that, Paul. The uh, Wills are the new toy paper. Great. Um, off to you, Paula. Eat that. Um,
2: that. That's a tough one to follow, Paul. Your your lines are just so great. I've written a bunch of them down. Uh, you know, for me, I want to end on a note from personally on a note of optimism, and I and I do think that COVID has laid bare so many of the inequities in our society, and I, I think. The, the thing with charities and nonprofits are they're really stepping up like n- never before to fill the gaps that governments just simply aren't equipped to fill. And, and I, I really want to make sure that those in need are, continue to be served um, equitably and that we can tackle the major issues in our society of systemic racism and social justice. And, you know, at, at AFP, we use the, the acronym IDEA, which stands for Inclusion, Diversity, Equity and Access. And that's really come to the forefront in 2020 like never before. And, and I really hope that the rejection of the old ways of, and, and our unconscious biases that we all share will give way in 2021 to a more equitable and diverse future, not, not only for fundraising, but for our sector in in North America and beyond. So thank you for giving me that platform to say that.
0: Oh, I'm glad that you talked about that, Paula. That was awesome, um, and an idea. Well, it was an idea that needed to come, and it is there. And I think 2020 has certainly highlighted um, how important and and useful that is going to be going forward. And I'm, you know, Martha, you mentioned earlier on about the fact on the nominating side that uh, you know half the board would be, uh, it, the goal is to have half the board as BIPOC. I think that is such a huge deal to have going on. I'm going to come to you last, Martha. You're going to get the last word. I'm going to Bob next. Bob, what do you want people to hear or remember?
3: Well, before I sign off, I want to, I want to give a plug to uh, uh, a Harvard Business Review article called Five Principles to Guide Adaptive Leadership. And it was, it was done September the 11th this year and it has, it has some incredibly good stuff. I've been using it in my webinars and trying to use it with our own team, which meets weekly now, which is one of the great things that came out of COVID. Uh, but a part, you know, a last thought for me, and it, it's resonated throughout my 50 years in the industry, is never underestimate the human heart. Um, you know, I, I, so many people were worried as the pandemic hit. And frankly, was I concerned about people dying, of course, but I knew, I knew that others would be resilient and others would come to the rescue. Uh, the desire to and the need to help another human being is so strong. I think it's spiritual. I think it's wired into the human heart. So that's where we live, and it's a privilege to live there.
0: I've heard you say it before, Bob, and I'm always warmed when you say it. Uh, never underestimate the power of the human heart. And so thank you for reminding us yet again of that. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Martha, you have the last word today.
1: Wow. Somewhere in in my household, my husband is shaking his head. Yeah. Um. We've had a talk before. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, first of all, it's, uh, it's amazing just to hear, to hear everybody's final thoughts. And it's been on, it's just been an incredible pleasure and honor to be on with Paula and Paul and Bob and I, I think I in some ways my my last piece here would would have to do what would, would kind of build on both what Bob just said as well as what Paula covered around idea and and by the way uh, Vince I just want to make sure it's clear you had said you know that that's our that our goal is to um, you know be to uh, a place of people of color being happy we we are as of 2021 at that place oh i'm sorry thank you no 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 apologies necessary i might not have been clear enough so we want to keep going right we just want to keep building from that but but where i'm kind of living in this moment is thinking about the big movement that's out there at this point called community-centric fundraising ccf and Vule, who many of us know, and he's on Twitter, uh, at nonprofit AF. Um, he really, you know, kind of spearheaded this. He says he, he didn't, but that's because he's pretty humble. And I bring that up because I probably am too glass full on this, but I really sincerely believe that we can both reconcile, we can reconcile, integrate and make whole. And I know I've used make whole already today, but this idea of having community centric fundraising and integrating that with and being mindful of donor centricity. I don't actually think, I do know that right now, it, there are moments when it feels that way. And it's. I'm not saying that it's not an issue that we should be looking at, which is kind of how we think about our donors, how we treat our donors, how we work with our donors and how we empower them. But I'm actually really encouraged by this CCF community centric fundraising movement And I really encourage, and maybe I kind of challenge, which is a fun challenge for 2021, all of us to figure out how we can make this work together and be thinking very carefully, to Paula's point, about how we're serving our communities in a way that kind of brings what I call the triangle together. And by the triangle, I mean our constituents, our organizations, and then our philanthropists and donors. So, so... I, I, that's what I'm optimistic and hopeful about for 2021. And speaking of which, at the risk of sounding, I don't know, like, like an ad, I do want to say that Kashana Palmer, who I mentioned earlier, she and I are going to do a kind of 2021 trends and projections session on LinkedIn on December 15th at 3 Eastern. So we would love to have any, any and everyone listening to this uh, join us for that.
0: That's Thank great. Thanks for that um, that shout out on that. We'll put that in the, the show notes. I think this um, uh, in Canada the CCF term means something else. Um, uh, it's a it's a socialist movement that occurred on the prairies, and, and so oftentimes a pejorative comment is to call oh that old CCFer. Um, but so
1: Vince, um, so Vince is what you're saying is that it's a good thing I kept saying what CCF meant instead yeah, of just calling. <laughs> to be
0: fair, I would think that it's a bit of a stretch for someone to figure that out. But um, I am, I, I, in all seriousness, though, I think that, that I would love to do a podcast in 2021 on community-centric fundraising. So I think that there's more to uh, unpack with that. Uh, there's, uh, there's things to talk about. So I'll be circling back with you and others on that. And so, folks, so thanks again uh, for joining us. With that, our gift of another Brain Trust Philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed. Well that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy, I hope you'll join us next time for our first episode of a brand new year. We will be joined by Andrew McManus, Co-Founder and Senior Counsel with Vitreo, Wayne Steer, President of AFP Calgary, and Michael Nielsen, Vice President of Marketing, Communications and Public Policy at AFP Global. Our topic is All Philanthropy Good Philanthropy, Fundraising Ethics in Life, in Work and in our Sector. As we enter this holiday season, all of us at Vitreo wish you and your loved ones a safe and happy holiday season. Until next year, take care, stay safe, and stay sane. We look forward to talking with you soon. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Nicole Nardi, Katja Asomanning, and me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is produced in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at vitreo group that's at sign v-i-t-r-e-o group you can listen and subscribe to brain trust philanthropy on itunes google play spotify or by visiting our website VitreoGroup.ca. wishing all of you success in your mission peace in your lives and hope in your hearts i'm vincent duckworth